welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. We're in our final week of prepared. In six weeks, you've been hanging with this message with this passage. And so today I want to do four things. I want to tell you a story about myself. I want to tell you a bit about Paul's story. Then we're going to talk about the words, spirit and word. And then we're going to put all the armor together and and try to lift up what Paul is trying to say through this image. So at 16 years old, I was introduced to the guitar. Anybody been introduced to the guitar at some point in their life? And you know that there starts this love affair and this passion to play the guitar. And at that point, I knew I was going to be a professional rock star for my life. That's what I was going to do. Um, And I devoted a lot of time to this because that's what I wanted to do. And so my poor parents, uh, luckily my dad had a detached barn and garage that we could play in for hours and hours at a time because all the guys I grew up with all played instruments. So we were just one giant band and it was a lot of noise, but we had fun. And I I have good memory. I can remember things. At least I think I can, right? How would I know if I didn't? But uh, I could learn hundreds of songs, and I could still play a lot of them for you right now. I just, I've got a good memory. And so that worked itself very well into this dream and this passion of mine. So over the next 10 years, I, I learned, and I tried to practice and get better and get always trying to find a drummer. If your kids want to be in a band, teach them to be drummers. We're always in need of drummers. The praise band needs a drummer right now. But I spent this time playing in different places, and as I got to know the atmosphere that you have to kind of exist in, the places you play, the things that are going on around you, I kind of found that this wasn't exactly what I had in mind, and I felt this kind of, this unsettled feeling, this lack of satisfaction. I don't know if this is what I want to do. I love it, but maybe not with my life, and so I wrestled with this. While I played music professionally, I tried a number of other things. So the list of jobs includes busing, tables, hosting, and serving at restaurants, many. Uh, I was a bouncer at a bar. Yep. I, I worked in landscaping. I was a telemarketer who called people and raised money for the firefighters and police officers. You ever get those calls? You used to? Yep. I was on the other end at one point. Uh, I modeled for a 4-H brochure. One time, they never called me back. I don't know. I installed carpeting. I installed closets. I managed a retail department at Best Buy. I worked at Blockbuster, and most of you may know what that is. I sold cars. I DJed. And then I was a youth pastor part-time here and there because I'd worked at camp, and guitar serves you really well. You can always get hired as a youth pastor if you play guitar. But finally, I decided after all this wrestling in 2006, I decided I was going to be a firefighter. That's what I was going to do. That I could find fulfillment in. And that came because I realized that in some near tragic moments in my life, self-produced some and some not self-produced, almost dying in car wrecks or stopping at accidents and seeing people in in pretty grave circumstance, I realized that I, I never really had a high heart rate in those moments. I could stay focused. I knew what I needed to do. I was able to, I was able to just be present and address the situation without getting lost in the panic. Some of that came with my training at camp. I knew CPR and first aid, and I realized how much people don't know what to do, which is why I stopped, and I suddenly realized maybe I've got a gift here that I can share. And my uncle was the chief of the Indianapolis Fire Department, 
and my brother was a firefighter, so it just seemed to make sense. I spent two years applying and working through that long process. You do all these different application processes, physical, mental, involves memory, and then you get on a list for each department, so you have to apply for each department. I was on several lists near the top, because my uncle was the chief of the Indianapolis Fire Department. That helped. And so I was waiting on a call. Every spring, I watched the movie Jesus of Nazareth with Robert Powell. Does anybody know of this? And Robert Powell, the most serious Jesus I've ever met. But great theatrical representation of some of the passages of Scripture we know and this interpretation that gives it life beyond the page. I, my dad watched it growing up. And so I watched it, and one year in 2008, I was married at this point, waiting on the call from the fire department, and I came to the scene in the movie, in my annual viewing, where Peter has met Jesus, and Jesus has helped him catch this miraculous catch of fish, and Peter is thrilled, you know, it's a good day, it's a good day for business, and another guy in the town, Matthew, who's a tax collector, hears of Peter's good day, and so he shows up to collect his portion for the taxes. These guys did not get along right? The hatred of the tax man is universal. And so Jesus later in the day tells the story of the lost sons or the prodigal son. You may have heard it called that. And it reunites and reconciles these two men. They have this connection and suddenly they realize Jesus is different. And so the next day Jesus has asked Peter and his fishing crew to take them, his followers and him across the lake. And as they're getting out of the boats, to go on. Matthew gets out of the boat too because Matthew's now a follower. And Peter's in the boat with this look of horror because they're getting out of the boats and he can either go back to the life he knows or he can get out of the boat. And it's just this moment. And Matthew, it's a great moment, Matthew kind of gets up onto the dock and just looks back and gives one of these. Come on. You know you're coming, Peter. Come on. So Peter gets out of the boat Man, poor Peter. He pushes off the boat to the sea. His crew are looking at him like, are you out of your mind? What are we supposed to tell your wife? And Peter turns around and follows, and, and we know much of the rest of the story. In that moment of that viewing in 2008, it was as if God grabbed my heart and said, will you get out of the boat? What won't you leave behind? Which, by the way, don't just bring that question out of the blue to your spouse. God wants to know what I wouldn't leave behind. That's not wasn't a good way to start that conversation. But we discerned and ended up taking a job as a youth pastor, foregoing the firefighter route. And that led me into this life of discovering my love for Scripture and studying Scripture and learning a lot about it and then taking that and sharing it with other people and, and the joy that I found. And suddenly I had this satisfaction in life that I hadn't had before. And I loved the atmosphere of doing this kind of work. My direction changed forever because of this call. I tell you this because up until the point until I got out of the boat, I felt aimless. I was trying all these different things. I was just unsure about them. I've always had the ability to remember things, and this gift has served me well in whatever way I decided. But when I decided, was invited and responded to devote it to this call to love, to learn, to listen, to grow in my understanding and, and be a part of conversations with others, I am deeply fulfilled in a way I couldn't have imagined. I know I meant to be doing this work. I'm far from perfect at it. 
but I'm, I'm on the path, my path. Some of you know this story, but it's yours. Not everyone's called into this path. I'm not called into every other path. Believe me, I was a terrible bouncer. I was a terrible model. There are people that do that better. But I know that my past makes sense in a new way. Paul is in prison when he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus. He's ultimately going to be executed, and my guess is that he expects this. He's been going on his own journey in life. He had been in his past. He was highly regarded. He was highly educated, taught the highest ranks of philosophy, and he was very successful as a Pharisee. If you, if you know the story in Acts 9, you know that Paul was invited out of the boat in a very less gentle way than I was. And I encourage you to read that story. He gets knocked off a horse and it's blind. It's, it's quite the story. But over the course of time, Paul, in this, this sudden change, is in contemplation with the Holy Spirit about all his life. Because his whole life, he studied the Scripture, and it did not say anything about Jesus. But then he has this encounter, and he goes back, and over a few years with the Holy Spirit, sees that everything pointed to the Messiah and Christ. And he understands it in a new light. From there, his life became about being an apostle for Jesus Christ. And he walked right into the storms of life. Paul faced abuse, slander. He was arrested. He was beaten and much more, eventually killed. And he had this peace about the way he lived, every bit of it. You ever wondered how he has that kind of peace? He knew his purpose and calling. That's how. He understood the conflict he encountered. He saw it correctly. Late in his ministry, he penned this letter, and he's encouraging the churches around Ephesus to be strong in their faith. In their own unique ways, every person of the church in Paul's day had gotten out of their boats. They'd allowed their encounter with the gospel, the good news, to alter the course of their life. Their lives had changed. They kept doing some of the jobs they were doing, but they did them differently. But in the face of adversity, Paul's in prison what's happening in the world of government and things around Ephesus, they were anxious. Can we identify with this? Paul's encouraging them, remain strong. The armor of God is how he understands we can have strength. And so the belt of truth, we've talked about the breastplate of justice, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. Notice that all those pieces of the armor are all defensive, right? You wear them to protect. Then we come to the sword of the Spirit, not a defensive piece of the armor, an offensive piece of the armor. It's different. Paul knows that when adversity comes in the life beyond the boat, he knows that troubles arise. We spend our whole lives living under the influence of sin, and so we get out of the boat but the boat hasn't really left us yet. We get there, but we've lived a life under the power of sin or the powers, as Paul calls them, where we thought status, wealth, honor, popularity, whatever it is, even freedom from responsibility, the thing we call rights sometimes. We don't have to do things. It's the work of the powers in us, telling us all the things that we don't have to do and all the things we can make about ourselves. The powers can use anything and anyone to influence us in the wrong direction. The powers can use an entire system 
to do this, and they do. We can get out of the boat and begin our journey, but it takes our entire lives to get the boat out of us. But it's important that you begin the journey. Amen? Paul knew this, and he's reminding the church. You've gotten out of the boat, but your struggle's not over. But your struggle is not with, who's been listening? People. That's a really big revelation, if you can come to understand that. It's never about people. We're not in conflict with people. Paul faced insult and persecution from the synagogue in Ephesus. Paul was Jewish. He faced persecution from the marketplace in Ephesus. He was a tent builder. He faced persecution from the Roman government in Ephesus. He was a Roman citizen. But he lived in this new way. And when you do that, trouble arises. He knew where it would take him. He knew. Jesus knew that his life would take him to the cross because that's what happens. To embark on this journey to get out of the boat, we need help. And we have truth. The truth that God is taking this all somewhere. We have justice, that there's an entirely new system of reign and rule that is present here and now in God's kingdom. There's peace, that our relationship with God is restored, we're redeemed, and we can bring that peace into relationship with one another. We have faith that God's dependable, and in our response, we can live faithfully and be dependable as well. And there's salvation, that we are on the road of healing and salvation in our de-boating of our hearts. When we have this foundation clearly in mind, we can face the work of the powers with strength and courage, no problem. Doesn't mean it's not hard, but we're confident. From this place of strength and courage, we can allow God to work in us and through us. So let's talk about spirit and word, because we have these two words, and you see ruach. Can you say that? Get the lugi. Ruach. All right, that's Hebrew. Panuma is the Greek, and they all mean breath, wind, or spirit. You can just substitute it out. Okay, spirit. And then there's word, which in Hebrew is davar, and logos in Greek. So it's translated word, or the logic of God. And this is it's a loaded word. Uh, davar, the Jewish thought is when you speak, your word becomes a thing that now exists on its own. And so someone may have given you a good word in your life at some point, and you still carry it, and it continues to be this great presence. Somebody may have given you a bad word, and you continue to carry it. Words exist, the idea. So when God wants light to be created in the beginning, what does God do? Speaks the word, and it comes to be. When God wanted to bring the word into flesh, to bring it into existence in a whole new way, we had the logos, the word given to us in Christ, and now suddenly the full revelation of God exists in this new way. Word is the will of God in existence. It's, it's being put into existence. That makes sense? It's really strange. They think very differently than we do in first century, but it's beautiful the more we contemplate it. So in the Old Testament, it's the word and spirit through which God creates everything. The spirit was hovering over the water. God speaks. Everything's created. Chaos is put into order. It's the word and spirit through which God connects with people, through the prophets, again and again, bringing the word of God, who, who have the spirit of God, who explains the will of God and invites the people to put it into action. One of those prophets, Ezekiel, finally said, look, Israel, humanity, you're so messed up. <laughs> 
and we are at times, amen? You're not going to be able to do this to follow all God's rules and laws. God's going to have to put God's spirit in you to give you a whole new heart where the word is written on your heart, where the will of God becomes present within you, that then you will be the will of God embodied. That's the promise. And then in the New Testament, Christ brings all of that to fruition. Paul has revealed this great mystery in the letter of Ephesians. And he says that we are the new creation created through the word and spirit given to us in Christ. We are the new creation. Where there was chaos, there's now order. We are the temple where the Spirit of God exists within us. The Spirit leads us into a new life beyond the boat, and we need the Spirit every step of the way. We need all the armor, but the Spirit is an offensive weapon, remember, where we battle with our lives and the way we live. We live the will of God for all to see. That is our sword. Make sense? The very word of God is present with us. We bring it into existence when we speak, when we act, when we live. And this is no small task. This is something we're all invited into. No matter where you live, no matter where you go to school, no matter where you work, no matter if you've been vaccinated or not, no matter where you devote your time and talents to what you have been called, you're invited. Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can live a life the will of God in every moment. It's pretty cool, huh? Now you may be thinking, sounds good. What's that look like? How? By being prepared. By being prepared. When we reflect upon all that we've been given, the truth, the justice, the good news of peace, faith, salvation, and we make it Here's the thing, make this awareness a regular part of our everyday routine, okay? Before we turn on the news or the television, before we read something or listen to something else, we sit and reflect upon the truth, the justice, the good news, the faith, the salvation, remember, and then we'll come to the point where our life just becomes a reflection of these things, and we become the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We know living this kind of life leads to a cross, let us not forget we use that language, but sometimes we may think it doesn't. It does. And when you live counter to the ways of the powers, trouble always arises. The powers are influencing everything and everyone, but our struggle is only with the powers. So we can face our cross knowing that that cross is not a symbol of the might of the powers like they intended it to be. You know that cross was the worst thing they could have done to Jesus. It brought complete degradation to his honor when they stripped him and then nailed him and gave him all this pain. And when you're in that kind of pain, it's not pretty. It was the loudest and boldest message the powers could yell about who's in charge. And yet Jesus took that same symbol and just twisted it around into the greatest display of love the world has ever seen. And suddenly this instrument of death became this instrument of life subverted it. Paul can face the imprisonment and death because those things only provide him a better way to live the life of love as inspired by the Holy Spirit within him. He can speak louder to people when he's imprisoned. It's easy to say it when you're not in chains. When you say it in chains, it comes across differently. 
The true word is best on display when we live our faith in the face of the cross. Paul's encouraging the church in a time of anxiety to live a life beyond the boat. Be prepared and to live a life of love. Nurture unity at all costs. Forgo reputation for the power of the cross as Jesus defines it. Have no fear, friends. In this time and age of fear, have no fear. If you haven't gotten out of the boat, come on. If you have, let's continue the journey together. It's the Holy Spirit who leads us onward as a church prepared. And the powers hold nothing over us anymore. So let's live like we actually believe it. Let's love at all costs. I'm going to say that again. Let's love at all costs. Let's embrace our identity as the family of God and let everyone know they are invited to. Let's let the Spirit of God speak through us now in our life and let our lives be a sword, the subverted image of a sword, not of Jesus ready to hack people up, but the opposite. We let our lives be a place where people come together in new ways. Let's trust that we are called where we are called to be. The place you feel called to be is where you are called to be. Trust that. Be prepared and live a life outside of the boat. Amen. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com. 